Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We gather around dim candlelight to delve where sanest avoid sight into twisted worlds that Lovecraft fend, where cosmic terror's apprehensions rend. These truths, not meant for mortal brain, but like those in Lovecraftian vein, drawn by fascination grim to learn what none should e'er require. 
As films, they try to emulate the mythos they dare replicate. They court revelation of the dire kind and risk what's left of human mind. So wish them well on Nightmare Quest, that some humanity in them rest. Pray that benign powers hear our plea to guard what's left of sanity. Join us if you be so inclined as we descend into darkest mind with Ray, Tommy, and Pete, your guide, through fraying sanity, their plight. Wow! <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff just straight up doesn't rhyme. <laughs> but it was Lovecraft-tastic. I loved it. <laughs> Hi, uh, uh, Ray, uh, Delancey, Tommy, Metz. Hello, uh, gents. I'm Pete Wright. Hi, Hi hello, friend. Why are you not recording more audiobooks? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I learned to roll my tongue through Duolingo. It's really, really useful. Um, look, so here's the thing. We're doing Lovecraft. Mm. I would I would like to start with a, a setting of the table, Um and and I hope we don't end with any of us saying, I really regret watching all of these movies. I don't think we will. <laughs> but but let's set the table with what we knew about Lovecraft going in to this series. And I'll start because it'll be brief. Nothing, really. Hadn't read any Lovecraft, didn't know the Lovecraft thing. I knew it involved tentacles. That's it. Ray, do you have anything up on me? Uh, I mean, other than the fact that... Uh... I, I too had not really read much Lovecraft, or any really. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I had been going through some of the Lovecraft adaptations, uh, mo film adaptations. But yeah, that's really the that's that's it. Okay, Tom, you are the big reader. I read too much Lovecraft. <laughs> I got really <laughs> into him in college, uh, and I read things like the Dunwich Horror, Color Out of Space, of course, the Call of Cthulhu, and nice. I got really into the idea of over different stories, he started this entire mythos, the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah. And it kept, um, you know, growing and growing and different uh, parts of different short stories would inform other parts of other stories because really the biggest thing of Lovecraft is you are barely peeking through a door. Yeah. And what you see immediately makes you insane. <laughs> and so yeah. it's always the, it's the real <laughs> horror versus terror change that I got really into. So yeah, I yeah. saw a lot of it. Sure. I and so like I, I did you had you been aware I, I assume you had to have been aware that when you were watching horror movies that you were actually seeing Lovecraft's influence when you started really getting into horror movies. Not Is that fair? as much. I wouldn't have thought of the thing or Prince of Darkness or In the Mouth of Madness to do Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy as Lovecraft films. I wouldn't. It never occurred to me like it had to be real obvious, like the mist. Frank yes. Darabont's The Mist. That's clearly I mean, it's literally mist and tentacles. But a lot mm -hmm. of these other ones I wouldn't have seen coming because I was I guess I was more. I don't know, old gods, the outside coming in, reawakening mm -hmm. something that was here yeah. long before us is all over horror. And this was a neat wake up call to just how influential he's been over so yeah. much in so many different films. Well, and I, I think that's true, right? I mean, like all of even the the oldest movies uh, in this list are uh, they truck in either 
cosmic horror coming from space we don't know or old gods coming from, you know, that which lives in this other space and and it, we're going to reignite. And that's like all of these movies. That's all of the movies. Yeah. And I had no idea. I had no idea when we started that, that they were going to be able to be classified like this. Ray, would any of them surprise you? I was surprised to see, like like Tommy said, the thing in Prince of Darkness, but also the blob, because right. like, not to sound too much like Tommy yeah. and steal his yeah. answers, but uh, I never really thought of those as as Lovecraftian. But as I'm watching them, I'm like, you know what? I can totally see where this was influenced. Yeah. Well, and that's really the trick. And I think this, uh, you know, I have I feel like I have to say up front. The other thing I didn't know about Lovecraft, only maybe peripherally, is that Lovecraft was a problematic dude. No. And, yeah. Give him no, another shot. True. It was a different time. <laughs> Racism was awesome. Yeah. Well, and you bring that up. So let's just say uh, he was an avid white supremacist and sexist. And you can see that play out in his uh, in his written works. And I think what we're one of the things that we can say as we truck over time is different filmmakers and different creators riffing on the concepts that Lovecraft brought about is actually you know, improving like the the concepts are not as dated as their rampant white supremacy and uh, racism and sexism in the earliest films would uh, indicate. He said of Hitler, I know he's a clown, but God, I like the boy, you know, no, like, no. that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's strong you <laughs> peak so i you know we just got finished doing uh, a year on uh joss whedon's the avengers and yeah. uh, having real dainty trouble with the the problems that that joss whedon has in the industry and hb lovecraft is like hold my beer y'all like he's <laughs> he really defines the case of separating the artist from the art so mm -hmm. i i want to get that out front what we're really talking about are the influences I read some Lovecraft going into this and got the compendium of short stories. And I, I don't love the work anyway. Like it's, it's hard for me to, to, it's not my, my jam. I'm not recommending anybody go read it. You can, if you want, really, I, I think what is so surprising to me is what we've set up up front here is that so much Lovecraft is everywhere. And in the list of movies that we talk about, we, uh, you know, we're talking about both direct adaptations of his work and, adjacent adaptations to his work that have the symbols and tropes of Lovecraft. That's what we're going to get into. But first, if you don't mind, may I talk a little bit about Lovecraft the boy? Oh, please do. H.P. Lovecraft was born in 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island. As a child, he grew up haunted by madness and death in his family. Yeah, I'm done with that voice. <laughs> He had a he had a rough he had a rough do my crib keeper. He had a <laughs> that never runs out of juice. <laughs> he had like two catching frogs. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, his dad had a psychological breakdown uh, related to syphilis that sent him to an asylum. Um, uh, Lovecraft went to to hang with his mother's family. His grandmother died, sent him back to his, his uh, like, just the, the trauma of dealing with, um, you know, family dying all around him. Much of their, you know, neurological disorders in his grandparents and his parents were with, you know, related to syphilis, they say. I don't know, syphilis was very popular back then. <laughs> um, he he lived with of course intense <laughs> social anxiety. Syphilis is going to be as big as Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> 
he lived with intense social anxiety and agoraphobia. And as a result, he ended up like really living in his own head and threw himself into horror and science fiction. Never graduated high school and fell in love with science anyway, and then became a, a rampant racist and xenophobic, which is weird. And when you read scholars talking about Lovecraft, it all comes down to this. There is no way that his xenophobia and racism, which had been in the 30s sort of scientifically debunked, hmm. uh, align with his passion for science and science fiction. Like he just he's he was a very complicated person. And mm. uh, and I I found that really fascinating. He his literary influence is equally fascinating because he was one of the early sort of public domain writers. He encouraged everyone to take his ideas, take the the Cthulhu universe, the Miskatonic University uh, stuff, the the uh, Arkham community, and write the hell out of it. Just take it and do what mm. you want. Write in universe while he was still alive. And as such, there's an interesting economic trade-off. He died penniless, mm -hmm. and yet we are still talking about Cthulhu and right. uh, Arkham and all of these mm -hmm. things that have been used so broadly. So I think that stuff is is really fascinating uh, about what he chose to do. In fact, one of the articles I was reading actually uh, attributed his work to the popularity and the contributions to and the pop ongoing enduring popularity of the zine, which is still a big deal oh. today, right? Like the sort of zine culture. And he popularized, if not um, you know, sort of uh, originated weird fiction, capital W weird fiction. Mm -hmm. um, so he's the, he's got um, the the guy's got roots. Yeah, which brings us to our movies. <laughs> a recitation of the movies, and as always, we have the movies, the list, and a letterbox link. If you click on the link, you'll go straight to our playlist, and that will take you to see all of the movies. And if you're on Letterbox, you can see how many of the movies have you actually watched and reviewed. They're kind of a lot of them, so bear with me. Um, the Haunted Palace, uh, the Dunwich Horror. These are in order of release. The Evil Dead, The Thing, Reanimator, Prince of Darkness, The Blob, Cast a Deadly Spell, In the Mouth of Madness, The Call of Cthulhu, The Color Out of Space, El Color Que Calla del Cielo, Annihilation, The Lighthouse, Color Out of Space, this time with Nicolas Cage, and Underwater. So... We have, uh, I don't know, 16 movies on the list. A lot of movies. Um, a lot of movies. There were a lot of movies over the yeah, last month. Kind of makes you rethink the format <laughs> for the future. <laughs> just, wanted, just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> I'm as, the one. I'm the one with all the movies. We, I asked people. I said, I hey, know. I don't know much about Lovecraft. Give me some movies. And people responded. And I never actually took movies off the list as more <laughs> right. came in. So, okay. So there's a process question. Yeah. Give me, give me a sense of your overall. I've been talking too much. So give me a sense of your overall uh, view of the series as, as we watch them. What were the standout pieces? Tom, you want to go first? Sure. Um, for me, the I love the film Annihilation. Um, and so sorry, Natalie Portman. Yes. Uh, it's mm -hmm. an incredible film. I saw it in the theater and I was like, huh. And then I saw it later and then I own it and I think it might be a, an absolute masterpiece. And that is, if I had to pick a favorite from this list, it might be that because it gets into the real interesting parts instead of just tentacles 
of what mm -hmm. Lovecraft was talking about. That Lovecraft was talking about something coming from somewhere else and overtaking. I mean, and you can see his xenophobia in that, the being mm -hmm. overtaken by something other, um, remaking the world as is used in Color of Space, at least in the Nicolas Cage version, the idea that it's poisoning everything, changing everything into something like the world it came from, into mm -hmm. what it knows. We all know it's coming. They can't get away. Uh, so the idea of this unknowable or to use the current, as you used, weird thing, it's taking something that is grounded, that makes sense, but then either in annihilation, refracting it or taking it apart separating it, fusing it together, um, that uh, using that in, in in Annihilation, they use, it seems to be like evolution. It's evolution mm -hmm. gone rampant. That is just evolving, mm -hmm. evolving, evolving, and everything's yeah. mixing together, no matter what kind of plant, animal, anything. It's just changing. And so that is, I think, a really smart, there's no tentacles in Annihilation, but the science and the weirdness of it is a real standout for me. Yeah, I, I think that gets to one of the major themes that that I kept seeing over and over again in these movies, which is that w when the outside comes in and starts doing the thing like rewiring DNA as in annihilation yeah. or or, you know, consuming as in the blob or whatever it is. Mimicking it, it, like in the thing. Right. Mimicking like in the thing. All of it goes to this this one punchline, which is humanity is insignificant in the face of foreign invasion. Humanity is insignificant, whether it be by elder gods coming back to take over uh, or cosmic horror aliens that that aren't the humanoid aliens we see on Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever. These are the things that that are embodied in color and molecules. And we are insignificant. Right. We can't understand right. them, yeah, and we yeah. certainly can't measure up to them. And they, just to finish, I'm sorry to jump back in real quick, but they don't care about us at all. There's no morals. Yeah. There's no judgments. Right. Like in the thing, in the blob, especially the blob, the, the Frank Darabont written, co-written one, um, everybody is killed. Mm -hmm. Nice guys, bad boys, unhoused yeah. people, a child. It mm -hmm. doesn't care. We are, we are the ants seen from... A, a giant, yes. which is which is actually yeah. which is extra scary. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to overstep, Ray. No, no, I love it. it. Actually, one of the things that I find most fascinating about Lovecraft and all the themes in these films and his stories is the impending, inevitable doom of it all, and there's just so much fear there that it's no wonder this guy was such a racist sexist. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's those are all attitudes that are based in fear. And he's not like one of these other science fiction writers who had hope when he looked to the stars, apparently. And you see that in every single one of these movies. There's not a single one of them that has a happy ending, I don't think. Well, except maybe the haunted palace. <laughs> I guess maybe. Um, but that's a really interesting point, especially going to the haunted palace. And I would throw over to Reanimator, which is another one of the adaptations of his stories, which is which deals with the hopelessness, but also the very fine line between genius and madness. <laughs> right. Like that movie is, first of all, there are some deeply sexist sequences particularly when they strip the young 
ingenue on the table and the headless reanimated corpse of an older doctor begins licking her naked body. Mm. The head is being held by its decapitated body. <laughs> it was bad news. That movie was crazy, uh, but it really celebrates that. And I think what's really interesting is that once like the serum, the reanimation serum becomes that sort of unearthly unknown, the thing we fear, we have turned ourselves into the thing from beyond and we don't know how to handle it. Those things are interesting. I I, I want to, as we're talking about the things from beyond, I want to pivot to the Necronomicon because, Tom, one of the episodes we already did in this show is on the Book of the Vampire. Mm -hmm. And this whole series deals with essentially books of vampires um, in, in the form of the Necronomicon. These are the, these are the instruction set for describing, you know, the universe of the occult in these movies. And we mm -hmm. have them in a lot of these movies have these evil dead, um, you know, all the Cthulhu cast deadly spell book of uh, the, in the mouth of madness. Like mm -hmm. the whole book is a, uh, is essentially a Necronomicon. What do you, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you put those concepts together? I like it being again, a connector for all of them. I talked about how turned on I got mm -hmm. about the idea of this mythos before I knew the word mythos being grown and for it all having an instruction manual of describing what the old gods were, who the goat of a thousand young is, mm -hmm. who this person is, and then instructions on how to bring them back. There's an interesting push-pull that people use for either the Necronomicon, whether it is mentioned or not. There seems to be two big options for using the Necronomicon and why you want to. One, a lot of them, like, say, it's, it wasn't on our list, but Cabin in the Woods, to bring up yes. Joss Whedon, we are using those rules that would be found in the Necronomicon. It's not listed there. Uh, but um, to placate the old gods, to keep them, mm -hmm. to keep Yarg Saguth dreaming in his dreaming space, because if he comes back, it'll be chaos and misery. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Cast a Deadly Spell, they want to bring uh, old gods back, yes, to wreck house, but also because they will be put in power. Mm -hmm. And that's what you get a lot of the people that use the Necronomicon, these different, and it's always foreign hordes, always foreign hordes that are wanting to bring it back, except for Cast a Deadly Spell, but they want a certain amount of power. They want mm -hmm. to bring back the old gods in order to clean the slate. And then usually they will be elevated. They'll be on the right hand by using the infernal Bible. Did that answer any part of your question? Well, I mean, I think it did. I, I'm not sure if I had a good question. <laughs> I use the word Necronomicon a lot. Is that you good? You did several times. I think that that lines up. That's a real SAT Great. answer. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that the thing that interests me the most is like using the Necronomicon and, and by extension, the book of the vampire as a, as a narrative tool to move us through um, the, the horror to explain um, and, and define the, the rule set of the horror to come. And like, you look at the Dunwich horror and it was like, <laughs> so weird. Like the way he propped the book up between her legs as like a reading easel. That was unpleasant. Um, that you know the, this thing to describe how the 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 universe fits together and that there is like is is this sort of tied together through this book is this do you see this as the same book in the lovecraftian sort of literary and cinematic universe they all kind of look the same mm -hmm. evil dead that's really interesting yeah. yeah and if you think about it overall 
Lovecraft's biggest device, other than just seeing something and going crazy, is it's always through storytelling. It's almost mm-hmm. never a first person. It's someone stumbling over their uncle's accounts or their uncle's uncle's accounts. I yes. think he did that because, A, that let him play a lot with uh, unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. But then B also gave it, it makes it seem more real. It makes it seem more believable to not just have one person see it, but I have this account, this written down account of it. It makes it seem like it's passed through history. It can't, you know, I'm experiencing, but so did this person. It's like how you only believe urban legends if a friend of a friend of a friend. There has to be like a series of people. And so that's in that way, Lovecraft is filled with books of the vampires. It's tons of diary entries, ship's logs, uh, you know, trying to bolster the reality of what seems completely unreal. Did anybody count? I mean, I don't know. So I watched The Call of Cthulhu, and The Call of Cthulhu is an interesting one because I think it was actually made and yeah. funded by, I don't know, do you know the backstory on that one, Ray? Like the the Lovecraftian Heritage Society, I think? Uh, I really don't know that much about the background of it. I, I just know that it was filmed you know, on a low budget and done yeah. in the black and white silent film era style due to budget, but also because in a way that is probably the best looking era in which to capture one of these stories, because I don't know if you guys noticed this, but a lot of the fantastical stuff really asks a lot of filmmakers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even when they're way under equipped, to be able to deliver those. It seems weird that Lovecraft is, has captured so many imaginations and especially on film because it's by definition unseeable. You can't, you can't really take in the beast. And so when you really do, like at the end of Catch a Deadly Spell, Cast a Deadly Spell, it's pretty underwhelming (laughs) because you've opened the door the entire way. Yeah, exactly. Um, Right. Real quick, just because you brought up the HP LHS, the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. Do you know where that's yeah. based out of? Tell me. Your Burbank. bedroom. Burbank. I've been to it. So close. Yeah. yeah have it's you a, really? It's a, it's a museum oh, nice. uh, that's just filled with everything Lovecraftian. And then they've made, they've created like for the fake Lovecraftian university, they have old timey trapper keepers. But instead of like the two people playing basketball, it's someone like fighting a tentacled monster. It's actually <laughs> it's played very, very seriously. And that's it's awesome. it's about 20 minutes from my place. Sorry, go ahead. That's fantastic. Ray? I was just going to say, you know, to your point there, one of the things that I kept thinking through every single iteration of the color out of space is that it's described as something that's beyond the normal color spectrum that we can perceive. And yet here we are looking at purple. Yeah. It's clearly it's magenta. Always or purple. Pink. Yeah. yeah. They're like, they're like, this color is, is not really a color. And I'm like, it really is. I think I, I, I think turned it on the is. subtitle. There's it's magenta. literally a it's word. Purple. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine in everything, you know, like it didn't really make the movie worse or anything for me, but it's just something that I couldn't, not think mm-hmm. about you know this is something that i'm not really supposed to be able to perceive you know on a, on a human mm-hmm. level you know this is the stuff that drives people nuts when they right. see yeah. it well and that gets to to one of the other bits of i think complexity of lovecraft the the writer and the interpretation of the of his work in film that as much as he loved science and appreciates all of the mad scientist stuff that goes into it like the 
the contrast is there's always a failure of science and rationality to explain mm -hmm. aliens right like we that's where humanity falls short and i guess that leads back to the insignificance of humanity too those tropes that we see uh, over over time i uh i i think when your ray's point is well taken on the black and white using the black and white to capture this thing and the call of cthulhu is sort of on one end of the spectrum where when you finally see the beast and it has the tentacles and it's it's shot essentially stop motion right, right. it's a, essentially animated and yeah. it's and it's lovely and fun and and kitschy it does take some of the weight off of the the movie which was we should say short and essentially a russian nesting doll of flashbacks like it's just all <laughs> flashbacks the movie to lead to the monster but then we get to something like The Lighthouse, which is not explicitly Lovecraft, but in the end, the mm -hmm. madness overtakes our pats, and we see him in this fist fight with uh, a mermaid and with the, his lighthouse buddy and with a tentacled beast and the tentacles. So this is a movie that's shot, I guess it's shot in 4.3. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just like, it, it's also what happens if Eggers makes a Wes Anderson movie. Like there are some really <laughs> striking visuals that look <laughs> so, so like charactered, right? Um, but then we have tentacles that are perfect CG in this otherwise which which puts me so deeply in the movie because everything is believable, right? They don't open the door all the way. And uh, and it leads to this like this test of sanity in a way that I think is even as it's not explicitly Lovecraft, the tone of Lovecraft that permeates that movie is so deep and so believable. It's one of the best of the lot that we watched this week for me. I mm -hmm. love that movie. Am I alone? Tell me I'm not alone, please. The lighthouse, yeah, yeah I I love oh, it too. Tom, why are you shaking your head? I thought it was. It's just rough. It's just like <laughs> I I don't maybe Tommy I, just doesn't like mermaid I, genitals. Oh, I love mermaid. I don't like watching movies that I feel like I can smell. <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> unpleasant and it's so gross the whole time that I was just like, I don't even need tentacles. I'm already itching. Uh, so yeah, no, I thought it was a little impenetrable. Incredibly acted. Yes. Uh, and I like the bringing over of the yeah, seagull because yeah. that's such a mm -hmm. traditional um, superstition. I like the yes. uh, the inclusion of that. Uh, you can't ever kill a seagull. And did they, a fun thing in all of these movies is they keep sp splicing in different words. Lovecraftian words. Dunwich is found mm -hmm. forever. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for instance, uh, Lavinia is the name of the daughter in Color of Space and the name of Wilbur's mother in mm -hmm. Dunwich Horror. Like, there's always these, it's almost like an Easter egg. And In the Mouth of Bandits is crazy. Right. With oh, it. my goodness. It's like they crazy. just shook all of the words yeah. out. I just think that's fun because that also feels like the mythos growing. And I didn't know if I didn't catch a lot of that in The Lighthouse, where it was pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, that's right. The The thing about The Lighthouse, though is the insanity. And that's the mm -hmm. thing that I think draws me the most to Lovecraftian stories because insanity or madness is probably the thing that I'm most scared of. Mm. And to watch uh, Robert Pattinson in the lighthouse uh, just continue to stay at, at this lighthouse with Willem Dafoe, who you don't know how reliable this right. guy is. It seems like he's not doing any of yep. the work. And then he's like pretty much gaslighting this guy, telling him that he's not doing anything. And it just, 
keeps snowballing and snowballing and then you, it just is palpable yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe i just responded so, to the unpleasantness i made it a physical unpleasantness but it is a yeah. and it's an incredibly I totally get it from the framing or the aspect ratio alone it is one of the most claustrophobic films i've ever been a part of yeah, yeah. for sure yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. I, I'm not saying that you anybody has to love this movie. I totally get not liking Tom has, Tom it. I think like that. When are you guys both getting married to the movie? I'm so excited <laughs> for your new relationship. <laughs> no, honestly, I think the fact that you're either you either love it or you hate it is a testament right. to the movie because I don't know of anybody who's lukewarm about <laughs> right. it. It had a few laughs. <laughs> Everything involving <laughs> the scrimshaw. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting about that one is that you don't really get a sense of ships, right? The lighthouse, you go into the lighthouse and you sort of expect right, right. the third act to be a race against time to save a ship in, in you know, uh, rocking seas. And you don't ever really get that because these guys by then are just completely nuts. And, you know, um, it, and it, it leans in on on another one of the themes that I keep seeing written about with Lovecraft, which is that the universe is amoral. The mm-hmm. universe, again, the humanity is nothing. Uh, humanity is insignificant. The universe is amoral and does not care about your state of mind. Uh, this is just a slideshow of y- your in- insanity. You're just going to watch it. It's going to be fine. Nobody else cares. And putting these guys in this isolated lighthouse and making them go to town on each other um, through their own, the-, the psychosis related to isolation, like significant isolation, is a Lovecraftian sort of thing in my now new burgeoning experience. Stephen King, mm-hmm. uh, when he has written Lovecraftian things, he did it in a short story called Crouch End. And then his book, his novel Revival, gets very Lovecraftian, especially at the end. And he ups the ante. He says that the old gods have been trapped. They haven't been sleeping. They've been trapped mm-hmm. so long. They have gone insane. And so it's not just immorality. He's saying that they don't know. It's like um, that uh, story, I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream, the mm-hmm. idea of God going insane and wreaking havoc just because it doesn't know any better, that's equally as terrifying to let mm. over into us. Yeah. So it's not like, I want to come back and rule the earth. It's, I want to, yeah, wear oatmeal on my face. What? That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that would be the epitome of insane. <laughs> <laughs> I might still be waking up. <laughs> oh dear. The Lovecraftian breakfast yeah. uh, universe. Yeah. Nice. Um all right. So of the films, do you want to do just a, a quick run through the films yeah. in order on on just like what you thought of them and how well you think they hit the Lovecraftian vibe? I, I I'm interested in your greatest hits uh of them. So first, Haunted Palace. This is one that I personally love just because I'm a huge Vincent Price mm-hmm. fan. Um, and uh, uh, what's hilarious is this is always advertised as a Poe movie. Right. Yeah. And you see that at the beginning, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's The Haunted Palace or whatever. But it's weird. Really just it's based on Lovecraft. But they kind of use that quote at the end from Poe to tie it together. I don't know why they didn't just credit it to Lovecraft. But anyway, uh, I love this movie. I love the creepy atmosphere. I I, I love the, as cheesy as it is, the monster at the end. (laughs) Look in that pit. It looks like 
uh, to quote somebody that I saw in a documentary, it looks like somebody in a crappy creature from the Black Lagoon mask in front of a haze. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I I liked it. I I liked it because I like the the audaciousness of the sets and I you know of the time. I mean, 1963. Also, love Vincent Price. Uh, the whole idea of these like not only are they talking about awakening old gods and all that stuff, but they've also like mm-hmm. they are taking on their elder spirits across a generation, right? I thought that was, of all of these movies, that was one of the most interesting things that young Vincent Price in most of the movie is actually awakening the spirit of his now burned on the tree in the first 10 minutes, Vincent Mm -hmm. Price, (laughs) across generations. Mm -hmm. I thought that was was a really interesting thing. And this is the, the town, the village of Arkham, the first time in our series that I heard the village name Arkham, um, I I enjoyed mm-hmm. this movie. I it 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 was a good introduction to some of the tones of Lovecraft. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, this was I don't know. Sometimes old movies, like I'm enjoying it, and then like I'll be like, oh no, like <laughs> like they can't they they don't have the ability to make that real, or that looks terrible, <laughs> or something, or we don't talk like that. Uh, but I liked um, I liked the uh, adding of the Frankenstein-ish townspeople being yep. upset for what's going on up on the hill, yeah. uh, that that can be found in Lovecraft later. Usually it's one person going crazy and then the town or the, all the other people on the boat all trying to go stop that person from doing mm-hmm. whatever he or she is doing. And I like the pit. I like one of the cool things about Lovecraft. We've been talking about just opening the door, but it's always doors, mirrors, fog, darkness, pits, haze, you just said books. It's always this veil separating Mm -hmm. this dimension, this world from the next. And that's always been uh, something that is really like how thin the veil can be if you have the right tools or the right object is always really scary. So I like it. It's a really interesting, it's an interesting point. Like when you talk about the veil, like one of the things that I think is so interesting about Lovecraft is that the way he portrays these characters, they are helpless uh, from their urge to open the book, to mm-hmm. pierce the veil. And yet all they have to do is not open the book. Like, but how I know it's that? a bad movie, but it's like, right. yeah, it's the marsh. Every movie is a marshmallow test for like opening <laughs> right. the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, Dunwich Horror or Sandra D almost sacrificed. You, you got to have that virgin sacrifice, sure. yeah. you know? Dean yeah. Stockwell is not captivating. <laughs> and the movie the movie really thinks he's mysterious and sexy. And instead, yeah. he's bearded and weird and mustachioed. Not bearded. Mustachioed. mustachioed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one was a big, oh, no, movie for me a lot of the time. It's just the acting for me was too stilted. It's too low budget. It's very Corman-y in that yes. way. But with beautiful yeah. interiors. And then I kind of like that it goes really virgin sacrifice put her on the altar and have the wind i mean it just it doesn't try to make anything an allegory and then having yeah. a chant mm-hmm. off between the good between <laughs> who i never occurred to me that there ed begley jr had a father uh yeah. but ed begley screaming reverse <laughs> chants and they have a chant off and then yeah the stop motion thing like waves a lot of hand wavy stuff yep. yeah 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 i thought it was very cute it's so weird to see Ed Begley as a good guy after seeing him in 12 Angry Men. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I thought the Dunwich Horror, uh, I totally agree with you with um, Quantum Leap Guy. Stockwell. Stockwell. Yeah, me at yeah the Dean Stockwell. Thank you, Dean Stockwell. 
And but I will say the thing I really love about the Dunwich Horror is it feels a lot like a Hammer movie. Like oh. it has the same kind of pace. It has the same uh, like slow accumulation toward doom that it has until you mm-hmm. have this big silly finale and sandra d can't stop drinking that drug tea boy oh boy i know she she's is just so thirsty. really thirsty <laughs> so thirsty that that was the other thing i wanted to make i can't believe we forgot to say it out loud but lon chaney jr in the haunted palace was really fun to see oh since yeah spent some time talking about uh about cheney it was definitely really fun to see him uh looking really not great like they <laughs> they made him up just right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that black and white, they sure can make the skin look green. Ugh. Didn't care for it. Yeah. Uh Evil Dead 1981 was terrible. I did not enjoy this movie and I was told after by Ray, don't watch that one. Should have watched Evil Dead 2, which was essentially Evil Dead 1 but better. That's that holds up. I think it's the one that every, everyone thinks they've watched Evil Dead and they watched Evil Dead yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Parts of Evil Dead is almost unwatchable, not because it's so gross, but because it's so like poorly lit. Yeah, that's like true. Like the, the yeah. tree assault scene, the tree branch scene. I remember seeing that the first time and being like, oh no, it's that. Because I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> like the TV wasn't very good. And I was like, something very upsetting is happening and I can't <laughs> There's tell a lot of screaming. All. Right. Yeah. yeah. Evil Dead was one that was really important to me as a teenager. Mm. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. However, one thing that I was never quite able to click with was all the claymation effects at the yeah. end. That didn't, that didn't, uh, it, it takes you back to a California Raisins-esque kind of a <laughs> finale. I didn't care for it. There's just a lot of, of a lot of that in the, the last third of the movie i didn't care for it but like tommy was saying you know you get the necronomicon Mm -hmm. but you get it through the unreliable narrator in this case professor nobi who left the recording of his reading the book so much exposition dump on reel to reel (laughs) tape like enough (laughs) enough I, i am sort of stunned by the number of my friends who have this at like four and a half five stars on letterboxd i'm i kind of can't believe i it makes me think that they just brought out their childhood diaries and said oh i rated this five stars when i was 12 and just maybe put it that's in back when letterbox was movie. it was out of 20 yeah <laughs> 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 um the next on the list we have the thing now we've done the thing on the um uh, on the next reel in the past uh it's it's the first now what did they call this of of carpenters the apocalypse trilogy the apocalypse trilogy and it gets more lovecraftian as you go through the three movies right yeah. we have this we have prince of darkness and then we have finally in the mouth of madness which is just a, a pay mm-hmm. in to lovecraft uh, the thing did you find lovecraft in the thing i wouldn't as i said before i normally w- i would have called it just an alien movie mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, like a sci-fi alien movie, but it is different. It is changing us from within. It's pretending to be us. And it's starting in the face of insanity. It's causing incredible paranoia. Yeah. And that's instead yeah. of yeah. just going gibbering mad and, you know, putting oatmeal on your face like you do, uh, you you can't, there's no one you, you can trust. <laughs> and that room when they're testing the blood is so good. Kevin Williamson completely ripped it off for his movie, The Faculty. If you remember that movie, it's the exact same scene with some of the exact same dialogue because he was like, yeah, it's just the best. Yeah. 
So it yeah. really is. I think that was. I, there's some tendrils. There's in there. some tendrils. I think it's really interesting watching it through that Lovecraftian lens to see this movie is color out of space. This movie is mm-hmm. annihilation. This movie is like it's all of these things. Like re, that that sort of uncertainty that humanity is nothingness is is it permeates the thing. And it it I never in a million years would have been able to tell you that this is at all Lovecraftian. I thought it was fascinating. Um, they, since we're doing this in order, we got to skip over some and do the reanimator, which is the one I watched most recently, mm. uh, just this morning, in fact, mm. as we record this. And my goodness, that Jeffrey Combs, <laughs> I preferred him in all Star Trek stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, did you, it, it, was this a, a valued rewatch? This was another one that's like straight across the bow, Lovecraft. Uh, reanimator is one of my very favorite horror movies just because it's so damn bonkers. It, it's just so crazy. And Jeffrey Combs is one of my all-time favorite actors, so I'm really biased. I needed to go through a real paradigm shift when I was watching it. I was trying to make it into other movies or normal movies. And I realized kind of like with Dunwich Horror, I need to like shake that off. And just be like, this is doing its own thing (laughs) and just go along for the ride. And then therefore it was much more enjoyable. Well, and that's the that's the funny thing, like making sort of science, the occult, the mysticism, like we're reanimating through a thing we can't explain. We won't explain it's green. So it does its job and making humans the the thing that is uncertain Like we can't trust ourselves with power and this we will be our own undoing, which I think is is yet another trope that that continues to kind of play out it was in the thing too right when paranoia takes over we can't see clear enough to take care of ourselves Mm -hmm. we we end up undoing Mm -hmm. our ourselves so uh reanimator it was a fun watch uh 1985 stuart gordon and stuart gordon as a director has has trucked in some other um uh, Lovecraftian stuff that I like from beyond is a great one right from beyond and dagon and dagon dagon how do you say it I don't know that one. Uh, anyway, sure. <laughs> um, so th- there are some other things in uh, in Gordon's uh, catalog that that would be worth uh, checking out if you love his stuff here. Um, Prince of Darkness, in which green slime is Satan embodied, and don't get any on you, right? Wipe right. that off. Um, that would so now here we are with number two in Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, and we're leaning further into Lovecraft. This one a fun rewatch? No. <laughs> Hard pass from Ray. Uh, honestly, uh, uh, this is one of those movies. Like, okay, I don't, I don't dislike it, but it, it's a movie that I, I want to like, but I just don't know what to make of it. To be yeah. honest with you, I, I can't tell what's going on at any time. Uh, it, it seems like John Carpenter has, has these great ideas, but it's just kind of lost on me. And and I just can't comprehend, you know, what he's trying to get across here. I'm not able to um, separate it from when I first watched it and I loved it. And of course it involves potentially hell. It doesn't mm-hmm. explicitly, it does say Satan later, it maybe should be formed as the anti-god, but the idea of getting a glimpse of what the other side can be, it seem, it's a, through a mirror, seems to be underwater, seems to be very dark. Uh, I, like all of the bugs and unhoused people outside, I don't care about. There's a lot of dodgy things in this, but the idea of there being a portal 
anything being a portal if it's just reflective and that close to hell and being able to bring it across. It's tough. Like, and the last shot is one of my favorite last shots in all movies of cutting right as you're about to potentially reach through the portal or just touch glass. Uh, it's tough mm -hmm. to tell because I just love this movie. I love the the uh, score, everything. And there's a very good chance it's this is my evil dead. Like, it's much worse than I oh. remember, <laughs> but I can't separate it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I love seeing Alice Cooper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Sl the slowest stabbing scene in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is another one. I don't think you're alone, Tom. I mean, the, when I look at my Letterbox friends, a lot of four and five star reviews for this movie. So yeah. either they all saw it and are rating it off their first diary review, right. um, or um, Satan is real and they got the green goo. They drank the green goo. <laughs> we all got the goo, buddy. Speaking of goo, look, it's so the you blob. Oof. Ooh. This one was a really big one for me because it is still remains so violent. Yeah. And gory. For back yeah. then, I was shocked that it wasn't that it was sort of allowed. I think I saw it like on HBO or something and I recorded mm -hmm. it. And again, as I said, like everyone dies. Good guys, yeah. bad guys, a child, and it's bad death. That's the other thing that uh Lovecraft, you go insane, and if you die, it's usually not quick. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some of the guys mm -hmm. like in uh, the Call of Cthulhu, they just sort of fall off weird styrofoam yeah. sets and die. But everyone else, like you're being drawn into the unknown mm -hmm. and the blob is especially no mm -hmm. one just dies. It's rough stuff. Yeah. You are yeah. incorporated mm -hmm. and slowly seems like dissolved. I think it, they even say the the original in-house guy, that he has some sort of acid on his hand. That seems like the most likely thing. Yeah, what um, it feels so, like. Yeah, so no, oh, I, God, this I movie is rough it. stuff for me. Yeah. You know, I love old horror movies, but I do not care for the original Blob mm -hmm. movie. And this one, though, I uh, I adore. You know, like like you said, all of the kills in this movie are so good. Like it, my favorite one has to be the the first football player in the Oof. hospital that gets just completely engulfed, and like you see his face through the ooze mm -hmm. and then it just disintegrates him just, oh man just such a uh, great horror movie and i especially love the fact that they changed it from uh an alien entity to a man-made entity that was in space that failed and came to earth right and it's just the government yeah again humanity is its own undoing failure of science to explain the irrational like it is this is absolutely Lovecraft trope. I, I actually, I have a great time with this movie. It is really violent and, and gruesome, but arguably the most, for me, the most gruesome kill is in the next movie, Cast a Deadly Spell, 1991, mm. uh, which is death by paper cut. Oh, right. <laughs> That's right. He gets his, his, oh, all of his fake terrible. money swirls around him swirls yep. around him and paper cuts him to death in a paper cut tornado that is that like it's fine like it was it's fine when it's going on but when his body hits the floor face down and you see he's just cheese grated like it's it was a fantastic makeup effect in a movie that has yeah. some crazy choices like just crazy choices there. I, I sent you guys a clip of fed up gargoyle with hands on hips. Like that <laughs> is my favorite thing. This movie was bonkers. I had never seen it. And I asked you, how did I miss it? Yeah. I, I'd never yeah, heard man. of it. And it's so, the tone is so weird. Yeah. 
it's like they made a really gory horror movie and then gave it to the director of Gremlins 2. Yeah. They said, can you just yeah. finish all the scenes we forgot to shoot? Yeah. It absolutely has that vibe around every corner. Yeah. Every corner. Oh, there's something wrong with your engine? There are actual gremlins in the reveal. Like, right. that is amazing. <laughs> amazing, this movie. Fred Ward. The police chief is interrogating a werewolf. Yes. Oh, don't sit in that chair. You'll get hair all over you. I mean, those those lines, this movie, I don't know if it's good. Legitimately, it's... It, I had so much fun watching this movie. It was a complete surprise, and it might be my evil dead. That's it. That's, yeah, it's a lot it of might fun. Be, it might be terrible, but it's extraordinarily oh, fun. Oh, it is. Um, I can't yeah. imagine how the movie got made. Mm-hmm. I, I legitimately can't imagine who it would have been who had to say yes to funding it. Like, this just feels like such a weird, goofy auteur thing right because it it shouldn't exist and it it does and i'm grateful for it i had a blast uh julianne moore is not the best lip-syncing artist (laughs) that was tough that was tough my i was watching with my son and he kept saying tongues don't work that way does she know that (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh that leads us to the third in our apocalypse trilogy in the mouth of madness 1994 this one is Love craft, baby. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love how yeah. uh, meta it is. And it takes In the Mountains of Madness, the idea of In the Mountains of Madness, and instead warps it. It's clearly about like Stephen King. But what if mm-hmm. Stephen King had the ability to drive everyone insane? Yeah. And I love the idea. Yeah. I desperately want there to be like a Stephen King town, like a little like. You know, you go to visit those old villages. They're like, this is how we used to make butter. But instead, it's yeah. like. It's actual it's dairy. Um, it's dairy. Yeah. Where you yeah. go around and get to meet all of his characters and stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah. And they don't know that they're in a book like no. that. That's a that was a fun part about this movie. Like you're talking about how meta it is. I really enjoy that piece of it. And Sam Neill actually n- nails the, the like it's a it's a tough I, I think it's a tough line to walk uh, where you can be sincere and, uh, you know, also deeply confused at how meta it is and. Mm-hmm. I think he just nails it. I, I, I love this movie. I think it's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like the lighthouse. That's the one thing that I love about this movie is it makes you feel like you're going insane too. For sure. That's cool. This also has the first that I remember of a double jump scare using the same that he wakes up from the scary and then he rolls over and the cop is there again and he wakes up again. That's the first time I remember ever seeing a double wake up. Usually it's yeah. a cat and then you wake up or something, but that's funny. Yeah. And that was really effective mm-hmm. because, you know, again, we've never seen it before. I also like how it's sort of a Mobius strip of a movie that it opens when he's in a straitjacket and thrown into the uh, asylum cell. And it just starts from there and then leads us to his asylum cell. Right. Uh, I thought that was just a really neat, um, neat narrative choice. And, and that's so uh, Lovecraftian. He's telling yeah. a story. It already right. happened. And he's now taking you through what he learned. Yeah. Yeah. And who like his his journey to insanity is so perfect because like he starts really early cutting covers of books up to reveal the Lovecraftian villages, map. right? Yeah. The, the map, which was really great. So in the mouth of man is big wind. Mm-hmm. OK, I I want to talk about the colors out of space as one <laughs> colors like attorneys general. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh there were three on the list of color out of space movies uh the first one was directed by juan vu uh from 2010 
Um, the next one was the color out of space, the Argentinian uh, approach to the uh, material. And then the, the final one was 2019, directed by uh, Richard Stanley, starring uh, Nicolas Cage in an incredibly subtle performance. <laughs> and uh, all of these three movies are talking about the invasion of this uh, extraterrestrial something that takes the form of the unseeable color and and is full of the binary impacts of uncertainty on the world around them, right? It makes beautiful foliage and incredibly large fruits. And in the 2010 version, it's pears the size of your head. Uh, in in Nicolas Cage's version, it's, it's tomatoes of the same scale. But when you take a bite, they're they're unedible, right? They're inedible. They're terrible. Mm -hmm. Right. All of that is because of this meteor that lands uh, meteorite that lands on the farm and uh, over the course of days disappears. But it infuses itself and starts rewiring uh, life. And uh, I, 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 I think that I took the Argentinian one ultimately off the list just because it was kind of hard to find. But I yeah. found it on YouTube oh. and uh, it is it's kind of a documentary retelling of the the story. Uh, and so it's a really interesting uh, film. It's a meditation more than a narrative uh, story because it's telling it as if it was a real thing, as if as if the Colorado Space story was real from the point of a narrator telling mm. you, you know, and, and going through like visions. Um, so it's fine. The the original uh the first one, the 2010 Juan Vu story, is a telling by way of, you know, um, an external character comes in to explore looking for a friend kind of a thing. And uh, I I like mm -hmm. this one. I like the idea that it was told in, like, the German woods. Um, I, I thought that was an interesting take. The Nicolas Cage version was, I, I thought, the best of, of breed. I think modernizing it did a lot for this story to actually bring it up with the time. And I think it was, I thought it was... Uh, I, I thought it was just lovely. What'd you guys think about these movies? Knowing that you probably didn't watch the Argentinian one, I, thought, no. I don't think. One of the things that occurred to me, and I'll just make this real quick so Ray can talk smarter, um, is the ending of the Nicolas Cage movie, mm -hmm. Annihilation, and then to a certain extent, The Lighthouse, all ends with the, in a way, the destruction of the person that gets the closest to whatever the creature is. Uh, in Annihilation, it's Jennifer Jason Lee who turns into Sparks. In uh, Color Out of Space 2020, it's Lavinia, the daughter, who okay. starts saying, um, mm. I don't, oh no, I just have his things. I don't have what she said. She turns into Sparks. And the lighthouse, when he finally does give himself to the light, the thing that Willem Dafoe had said, don't do, he, the entire film becomes distorted. And he flies down the stairs and he's not doing great. So I like that. I like the that's a neat way of showing the complete unexplainable. Like it's so powerful and so unexplainable that you, by definition, must be destroyed. Yes. By it or yeah. incorporated, however, whatever you want to see those sparks as being. But you yeah. are completely encapsulated by the unknown, which I thought is is really cool. A neat connection. Yeah. Uh, the, the German one. I thought was a really interesting way of making the movie. You know, like I mentioned before uh, about the color spectrum, I thought it was an interesting choice to make the movie in black and white. And then only the color from space is in color. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting choice, but the movie I thought was just a little over long in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, definitely the 2019 or 20 
version with Nicolas Cage was the way to go. Matter of fact, that one, I, I rank all these on flick chart right after I watched them. That one shot way up mm. my list. Yeah, I could see that. I was actually watching it thinking, I think Ray's going to love this movie. I think this is going to be right up his alley. It is. It, it was that for me. I think the, uh, you, you know, I'm still challenged by the the fact that the black and white movie, which, again, so perfectly encapsulates the world uh, that they're trying to create. And then they show us the color that you're not supposed to see. But they really highlight that you can see it because it's purple. Um I, I don't know. The choices about color, it's a hard movie and a hard story to take once you start thinking too hard about it. Um so, you know, it is what it is. But Annihilation is also this movie, modernized, <laughs> right? Annihilation is this movie. This thing comes down from nowhere, from this place we don't know. Meteorite hits the the lighthouse. Oh, my God, it's another lighthouse. Meteorite hits the lighthouse, <laughs> begins expanding its influence and rewiring everything under its mysterious dome, colored dome. Um, a color that you can't quite see, right? <laughs> it's this. The shimmer. It's the shimmer. This is the thing that I think the color out of space adaptations couldn't quite get because of money effects, whatever. In this movie, they got it. Like they they were able to give us an environment that is so uncertain, you can't quite see it, but you know it's there. And everything that's in this environment is a failure of humanity to understand. And uh, and it doesn't go well for anybody. <laughs> This yeah. was the first time that I ever read a book and then immediately read the sequel and the sequel sequel. It's called the really? Southern the Southern Reach Ooh. trilogy. Starts with Annihilation and then Jeff Vandermeer, who is now pretty much the biggest weird fiction writer that we have. Mm -hmm. Um uh he wrote, yeah, it's all three in a row. Uh the second one takes place uh where and for those I won't spoil it, but the word annihilation means something incredibly different in the books. That's a complete rewrite of her using the word annihilation before she turns into sparks. Annihilation is huh. something very, very different that I'll tell you guys off mic if you want. But okay. the Southern yeah, it'll be a real secret is okay. fascinating. Fascinating. I gotta get them on the list. And I with annihilation, yeah, it's fusing animals, it's fusing things together, just like in color out of space when mom yeah. and Jack get fused together and that abomination. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of connections. I, I love in Annihilation the fact that when they go in there, you cannot trust what you know mm -hmm. about nature. Here are these scientists, Natalie Portman in particular is a biologist. She knows about nature, animals, plant life, whatever, but none of it is doing anything like it's supposed to according to the science that we know right. on Earth. And I, I especially love the scene uh, with the Ooh. bear, the, the second time when they're tied up, you know, you hear the one woman scream and it turns out it's this mutated bear who can mimic the sound of the his last screaming oh, victim. Holy crap. That was amazing. Yeah, that is a it, it is a terrific, terrific uh, science horror movie, right? Like mm -hmm. it is the horror of science and horror. There's gruesome stuff in this movie. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, and to jump about on the what, what yeah. Ray was talking about, just about the how they can't trust nature and they can't even trust any physiological. He's like, what did you, you only had the rations when he's, when she's being uh, interrogated afterwards, you only had rations for like a week or something. You were in there yeah. for months. She's like, I don't remember eating. Like yeah. the unrelatable Nyra, what? Unreliable. Now I'm an unreliable speaker. An unreliable narrator <laughs> is our only entrance, our vehicle yeah. into the movie, which is, of course, Lovecraftian totally. Well, and, and that gets back to my 
question as I was overthinking the end of this movie is that I don't think the movie ever gives us a sense that, you know, because the movie already told us how the the bodies switch, right? When the alien takes over in the, the at the end of the movie with Oscar Isaac. And it doesn't give us that with, uh, you know, with Natalie Portman. And I, I struggled with how the movie interpreted that at the end. And then... I, I feel like just through this conversation, I get the the fact that the movie is leaning so hard into the rewiring factor, mm -hmm. the, the genetic rewiring, the fusing, all of that, that maybe that's the part to just let go, right? Like, that's the part to just let go. And does that, I mean, does it play on that in the sequels of the books? Is that, do, do we get to understand better? Or is that spoiler? More so. There's some changes. Okay. All right. It ends like the book ends with Natalie Portman's character going back into the shimmer. Okay. To try to find something else. So it's different. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I thought it was fascinating. It's one of the high points on the list. Uh, in addition to The Lighthouse, which we've, we've sort of talked about, the last one that we do have on the list is William Eubanks 2020. It's the most recent um, Lovecraftian adjacent underwater. Hmm. And uh, this one is uh, Kristen Stewart. Vincent Cassell, what'd you think? Love it. Alien Under the yeah. Sea. Yep. But I loved it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought it's it... tragically underwatched. Like, it was a real big flop yeah. when it came out, and I don't know why. I, it, I don't either. It feels like it's a movie that doesn't exist without Lovecraft. It doesn't exist without H.R. Geiger. It doesn't exist mm -hmm. without, like, so many of the sort of legacy of tropes and design that have come out of the works of, of Lovecraft. They are all in this movie. Mm -hmm. They're all in this movie. And all the way to the final reveal of, of the creature, which is extraordinary. I'm with you. It is tragically underwatched. And it's another one of those... I'm wondering if it might be... Sorry, I was just going to say, I wonder if it might be uh, Kristen Stewart's reputation after the Twilight movies as being kind of a stony actor. Yeah. Stony face. That would make actor. sense. Which is a shame because I think she's really good in this movie. I think she's really good and I think she's really talented. Yeah. And isn't it interesting how the kinds of choices that she and fellow Twilight actor Robert Pattinson yeah. in this series are making and the things that they've, they've chosen to make, the movies they've chosen to make. Right, like yeah. Underwater and The Lighthouse are their example trajectory, right, of just making interesting movies that are hard to shoot, that are hard on the humans involved in making these stories. And um, I, I think they were, I think they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love the creature design yeah. in this movie. Uh, I, I love the evolution that you see the small, it starts out with the small creature, kind of like in Alien, yeah. you know, you see the small creature and then eventually you see the big alpha, which is obviously uh, Cthulhu. Yeah, right. It, it ends up being a lot like Cloverfield, where you, uh, ultimately you are introduced to an entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. of creatures that beget creatures that crawl on creatures. It's a lot like Cloverfield, the mist, those kind of things that yeah. we are because again of man's inability to not open underwater trenches and stick our things everywhere <laughs> that we are exposed to an entire ecosystem that we have no ability to understand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that is an interesting thing because I don't know. I, I does, does Lovecraft write a lot of underwater stuff? The Dunwich Horror, uh, the things are coming from under the water. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I think it's just interesting that his, like, his cosmic horror includes 
the depths, right? It's really any dark places, right? Can, unexplored, can hide dark places. unexplored, yeah. right? Horrors. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's really interesting. So that's our set of movies. Any huge uh, like uh, awakenings? Anything you you watched here that you just loved that you hadn't seen, or had you seen pretty much everything on the list? I personally had seen about half of the movies on the list. Um, two that stick out to me in particular was The Color Out of Space. 2019, yeah. uh, which I hadn't seen and I absolutely loved. But then uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which I had seen, but was kind of lukewarm on. But when I rewatched it this time, it's like a whole new dawning of comprehension came over me and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Again, I just love that uh, you kind of feel like you're going insane with that character. <laughs> Tom, you got any high points? Just, I, I think what we've already gone over is yeah. the um, reorientation that I have for so many films and putting it more in a Lovecrafty. And I think I was stuck in Lovecrafty and just being old gods. But really, it's the other and the incredible other that we are not prepared for whatsoever that so many other movies, yeah, I don't think I would have called Lovecrafty. And I think I even, yeah, Pete, when you started the thing, the letterboxed, I questioned. I said, what is the thing doing on there? Yeah. And what is Prince of Darkness? That that's the devil, and that's an alien. But then, yeah, cosmic horror. I just i i mm -hmm. would I was stuck in a box probably because I read so much Lovecraft growing up, and then forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, this has been really eye opening, and I'm really glad that we did this. I I think it's really interesting to watch all these films all at once, and the. Part of it is because when you look at the choices that these filmmakers had to make to make to translate, and again, I'm not obviously a Lovecraft scholar in terms of his original writings, but I have been reading and it is really dense, like it's super verbose stuff. Mm -hmm. It's it's not they're not easy reads. And so it's easy to kind of nod off a little bit for me and to be able to translate though that prose to images on screen I think is is a heavy lift in some cases. And I think a lot of these movies do it very, very well. Even in the movies that I don't that I don't love, I think the choices they make are great. Like we talked about the Dunwich Horror, the filmmaking choices are fascinating. There are some like incredible like tracking shots and mm -hmm. follow shots that that demonstrate the location, the sets. Tom, you said the sets are beautiful. Mm -hmm. The Haunted Palace, same thing. Like they're just they're really beautiful um, examples of filmmaking. Uh, and that's, you know, great choices based on some dense material. So I love that. And just to if I can bore you with a quick quote from uh, the 2019 Color of Space, because mm -hmm. what we're talking about is it's, you're filming the unfilmable. Yeah. He never opens the door. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what do you do when the text says, what touched this place cannot be quantified nor understood by human science? It was just a color out of space, a messenger from realms whose existence stuns the brain and numbs us with the gulfs that it throws open before our frenzied eyes. Stuns, numbs, frenzied. None of that makes for a clear visual. <laughs> <laughs> and so you both have nothing to work off of and a complete open palette. And so it's really yeah. exciting to see what filmmakers do with that. Yeah. Uh, I had a ball. Thank you guys for suffering through the length of the list over the last month. It's <laughs> no, thank you. been a huge treat. So that was my choice. Definitely. That was my choice. I did that. You Love did that. Craft. That was yours. You did it. That was all new. And now who's, who's next? Ray. Well, I've been 
working on a little <gasps> something that I like to call soft shoe. The movie oh. lovers. <laughs> <laughs> I like. <laughs> I call it the movie lovers' guide to lycanthropy. <gasps> We're gonna do werewolves. Oh no! <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I, we're going to be taking a look at werewolf lore. Love it. Outstanding. Outstanding. It's, it is, I, we've only done like six episodes of this show. It's about time we got the werewolf. <laughs> it's like anniversaries. The first, the first anniversary is paper. <laughs> the second episode is werewolves. The third is always skittering. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really fun. Can't wait for that. That's going to be coming up in October. Great time for it. Mm. Perfect. Super satisfying. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate you hanging out with us. And uh, make sure you head over and check out the show notes. You can see the curriculum in Letterboxd. Links to all the films right there on our Letterboxd list. And I will start building. As soon as Ray gives it to me, I'll start building the lycanthropy list in Letterbox too. So uh, check out the website over at True Story FM and uh, you can catch up with it there. Uh, thank you, everybody. On behalf of Ray Delancey, Tommy Metz III, Woo! I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next month right here, sitting in the dark. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.